You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Oh my gosh. Okay, so down to business. We have been journeying into exposing Kabbalah for two and a half months. As a matter of fact, this is sermon number 11. Next week will be 12. After that, we're going to be moving into the fourth month. I don't know how long we're going to be sticking to this, but um, my wife says I can't quit yet. And Jesus said, don't stop attacking the tree. <laughs> I want to tell you something, guys. If you haven't understood it by now, I'm going to repeat myself because I keep saying it. God does not like the Kabbalah tree. Jesus hates it. And I've asked him. He has told me himself, I hate the tree, right? So it must be exposed. Now, as we expose it, the problem is that there's a lot of sacred cows that just get flipped upside down and turned on their head. Now, what is Kabbalah? Well, for those of you that are just joining us now, I really feel bad for you. Uh, <laughs> you are so far behind the curve at this point. And the good news is that you can go to our website and get all of the uh, sermons go- leading up to this. They're there, bridemovement.com. So you don't have to stay in the dark. But um, we're going to do a brief review and then dive. We're going to dive because today is a deep dive. And uh, so what is Kabbalah? Kabbalah is the ancient Jewish tradition of mystical interpretation of the Bible, uh, specifically the Old Testament, first transmitted orally using esoteric methods. Kabbalah is an esoteric method, discipline, and school of thought that originates in Judaism. Now, you find Kabbalah all throughout the New Age and all over the place in secret societies in the occult world as well. That's that's. Well, if you want to know the root, look at the fruit, right? So it is not possible to discuss Kabbalah apart from a conversation on what is called Judaism or simply Jewish doctrine. So what is uh, Judaism? Well, it comes from several places, not just the Old Testament, as some Christians like myself used to believe. Uh, It comes primarily from two sources, the Babylonian Talmud being one, which is a commentary on the Mishnah, and the Kabbalah, which is the collection of books. The Kabbalah in itself means to receive and some of the books or primary texts include the Zohar, the Sefer Yetzirah, which we're actually going to be talking about today, the Book of Mysteries, the Gate of Reincarnation, because Kabbalah does teach reincarnation, and Three Enoch. And the idea that Kabbalah can be separated from Judaism is dismissed by the admission of just about all Orthodox Jews. There are a few sects I have become aware of that are an exception, but they are very small <laughs> and do not by any means constitute a majority uh, opinion on this subject. So, 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 so Judaism and Kabbalah are enmeshed basically like that. Now, uh, we are talking about it because Kabbalah is not of God, but it has influenced major areas of Christendom. And uh, since many believers have not known what Kabbalah is, you don't know how to defend yourself against it. You don't know how to identify where its influence has poisoned the waters in the body of Christ or your belief system. And uh, we are talking about it because Kabbalah teaches an esoteric template for man and a creation known as the Kabbalah tree. And it's a source of revelation for 
all kinds of occult stuff, including uh, certain students such as Eliphas Levi, H.P. Blavatsky, A.E. Waite, Manley P. Hall, Albert Pike, and McGregor Mathers. So uh, we have learned so much about Kabbalah. And uh, we've learned about the 10 Sephirots, how they changed the Genesis 1 narrative. We've talked about the creation story of light traveling from Ein Sof into Malkut, which they call the kingdom, which is the physical earth, and how through Kabbalah-related initiations and ascensions, we, uh, they, they teach that people come into greater illumination. They teach ascension through the expansion of soul consciousness, not the engagement of the human spirit from which we derive the understanding that there are counterfeit ascension protocols and then there are God-ordained ascension protocols, right? So we can ascend in Christ and we can ascend outside of Christ. <laughs> and when we spent some time talking about that um, the other week, we also learned about Messiah Ben Joseph and how he's called Metatron or the angel of the presence, how he's referenced in many Kabbalah texts and becomes our Christian Antichrist according to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. So the Messiah of Kabbalah is the Antichrist of the Bible. It's just nuts. And uh, we explored how, you know, the Kabbalah it, 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 it is to the Old Testament what the Book of Mormon is to the New Testament. It's like what begins as a journey into uh, extra biblical texts, lands a person in a completely different religion. Okay, we talked about the Tetragrammaton. We talked about the two Leviathans. We talked about the Feast of Leviathan. We talked about the four worlds of Kabbalah and how that connects to what we call the counterfeit ascension protocols. And that lands us. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Daniel, that just sounds like a whole lot of crazy. I don't, I've never heard of any of that. Well, you have not been hanging out with us very long, have you? So go back and get, you know, catch up. Now, this week we're going to learn why trees are governments and why the Kabbalah tree is the government of Lucifer. That's only the beginning. Then we are going to look at the calendar of Kabbalah, okay? Because every kingdom has a calendar. And this is really going to mess some of you up. So I'm just going to give you the heads up. Like, get ready to get your feelings hurt. Get ready to get your feelings hurt. I, I don't know how. As I was preparing to, to talk about this tonight, I, I, I was... Literally just thinking about this is so deep. I mean, and we've been deep all this time, you know, it's like this whole study. It's like every time we turn over some kind of rock and find it's full of maggots underneath, it's like, oh, but this one is just really like, like a double dose. And so, so just get ready for that. Now, now as, um, as we continue on this, uh, we're gonna talk about uh, trees. Okay, so that's where we're starting. Trees are governments in scripture. Now, how do we know this? Where, where does this idea come from? And, and, I, and, and, and I need to explain this because this, 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 what I'm going to explain now is actually going to be the foundation of a, some other things that come, you know, in the future, future conversations we're going to have about Kabbalah, right? But, but this is very, very important because I've said a few times, you know, Kabbalah is the government of Lucifer, but it's like, why do you say that, Daniel? Where, where do you get that from? That's a big statement, but why? So, so this lands us in a study found in the book of Ezekiel. 
And I'll, I'll, I'll drop the scripture text, but I'm going to read a nice chunk of scripture for you from the book of Ezekiel. Um, and in this passage, Ezekiel is talking about um, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and his multitude. He's actually prophesying. And so this is what it says. Now it came to pass in the 11th year, in the third month, on the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his multitude, whom are you like in your greatness? And uh, indeed, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon with fine branches that shaded the forest and of high stature and its top was among the thick boughs the waters made it grow and i'm just double checking this because i i uh, i didn't write down the actual scripture reference um chapter wise so I, i'm going to give you that in it right now okay um ezekiel 31 so this is all out of ezekiel 31 so it says um in verse 4 the waters made it grow underground waters gave it height now now what we have to understand as we're getting into this passage that ezekiel is prophesying to the uh, pharaoh king of egypt and and he is saying who are you like in your greatness and then he's referencing assyria now assyria was a kingdom in the ancient world and he is saying that assyria is a cedar so he's talking about the whole kingdom of assyria the whole government of assyria and saying that can be looked at as a tree the government is a tree. The kingdom is a tree. And then he begins to describe the tree in the prophetic message to Pharaoh, right? And so he's saying, look, the waters made it grow. Underground waters gave the Assyria kingdom cedar uh, its height with their rivers running around the place where it was planted and sent out rivulets to all the trees of the field. Verse five, therefore its height was exalted above all the trees of the field. Its bows were multiplied. Now, someone at, at the point in verse five is, would, would likely think, like I did, you know, oh, this is just parabolic language. We're, we're, we're using metaphors here. It's pretty simple and straightforward, right? But, but the answer is no, it's not that simple. And as I keep reading, you're going to understand why. Verse five, its bows were multiplied. Its branches became long because of the abundance of water as it sent them out. Verse six, all the birds of the heavens made their nests in its bows. Under its branches, all the beasts of the field brought forth their young. And in its shadow, all great nations made their home. See, so, so now we're talking about a, a tree of Assyria, but we're also talking about other nations sitting under its shade, right? And of course, Assyria was a world power. Assyria came before Babylon, right? And so... Um, Nebuchadnezzar out of Babylon what became brought Babylon to the stage of world power, and then Assyria began to drop off of the, the the major player realm. Right. So 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 anyway, verse seven it says, "Thus it was beautiful in greatness and in the length of its branches, because its roots reached to abundant waters." The cedars, and this is so wild when you get to verse eight. It says. The cedars in the garden of God could not hide it. Now, suddenly you, you, you flip and you're like, wait a minute, the garden of God. So, so, so you say, oh, well, is the garden of God in Lebanon? Like what's, 
what's going on here. But, but watch this. Just track with me. Verse 8, the, the cedars in the garden of God cannot hide it. The fir trees were not like its boughs, and the chestnut trees were not like its branches. No tree in the garden of God was like it in beauty. I made it beautiful with a multitude of branches so that all the trees of Eden envied it that were in the garden of God. Verse nine, I'm gonna read that again. Verse nine, I made it beautiful with a multitude of branches so that all the trees of Eden envied it that were in the garden of God. And uh, therefore, thus says the Lord, because you have increased in height and it set its top among the thick bows and its heart was lifted up in its height. Therefore, I will deliver it into the hand of the mighty one of the nations and he shall surely deal with it. I have driven it out for its wickedness and aliens, the most terrible of the nations have cut it down and left it. Its branches have fallen on the mountains and in the valleys. Its bows lie broken by all the rivers of the land and all the peoples of the earth have gone from under its shadow and left it. Now, this is, is, is profoundly deep, okay? Profoundly deep. And God is taking me back to this passage in Ezekiel multiple times because it's like every time I, I revisit it, it's like my mind like, whoa, whoa, you know, it, it just, it, it, it is really an upgrade in thinking. One of the, the, the elements of Solomon's, and some of you that heard the series on the mystery of trees may remember this, uh, one of the elements of Solomon's resume, so to speak, of what made him great, you know, it talks about the thousand and Five or whatever thousand something songs that he wrote and some of the other things that he did, one of the things that his resume talks about is that he spoke of trees. So Solomon had a wisdom of trees and, and, and that wisdom was part of the reason why all the nations of the earth came to him to get wisdom and paid him handsomely for the wisdom he was operating out of. But when you understand that a revelation of trees connects to government and, and kingdom, and the destiny of nations, then, then things really do shift. It's like, whoa. But you, you have to look at this from the perspective of the, the garden of God or Eden. And what this means, quite literally, is that the garden of God is Eden, okay? And that's, that's very clearly the case from Ezekiel chapter 31. And the trees in Eden, therefore, are multidimensional. The trees in Eden, it's not just like a tree that you see outside. Like, like no, these are multidimensional trees that on the earth, when you look at the tree, you see a nation, you see a kingdom, you see a government. But when you go into the dimension of the garden of God, you see a literal tree. Get it? Literal tree in that dimension, government in the earth realm. So it's like this weird thing that begins to happen where you have this interpolation where it's like, well, I can look at a tree if I'm in the garden of God, or I can look at a mighty nation with 10 million people in the physical earth realm, in and out. This is a big deal. So trees represent governments. But, but when you're looking at spiritual trees, you're looking at multidimensional constructs. Therefore, the nations of the earth are represented as trees in the garden of God. Now watch this because we're going to go deep, right? In the garden, I'll say this one more time, they are literal trees. In the earth, they are literal nations. 
and across the multidimensional nature of the creation, they exist as governments. So if God wants to take down a nation, he will send the axe into the garden of God, the tree will be cut down, and in the earth, that nation will collapse. And so that's what God is saying. It happened with Assyria. And so God sent in the axe. He, he said that he turned it over to the hand of the mighty one of the nation, Nebuchadnezzar, right? And Nebuchadnezzar, he overtakes Assyria. But in the garden of God, the tree is collapsing. In the earth, the nations collapse. And in the nations of the earth, they all scatter from under its branches, right? So, 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 so as we renew our minds to this level of thinking, we're like, oh, this actually now can help us understand a bit more about what happened in Eden in the beginning, right? Because in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, we have the creation. Then we have a story about Adam and Eve and the serpent. And they are in Eden, the garden of God, and there are trees. Now watch this. When God put man in the Garden of Eden, man was surrounded by governments. Now, now this is, this is like really mind-blowing, right? Because Adam is in Eden, which Ezekiel is talking about. So when we look at Genesis 3 through the lens of Ezekiel 31, like, and we allow the word to interpret the word, because that's what we're doing. The Bible interpreting the Bible. We really get this, like, you know, our, our, our brain just goes bust, right? So, so this is what happens. Genesis 2, 8 and 9. It says, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord made every tree grow that is pleasant to sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in it, in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So there's all these trees, right? But Adam is not in just a physical earth, because at this point, Heaven and earth are synchronized and they're in alignment. Heaven and earth are synchronized and they're in alignment. And so Adam walked with God in the garden in the cool of day. But Adam was like, you know, I mean, it's not the way it looks today. And I, I don't fully understand all of that. But what I do know is that, like, if we begin to look at trees as governments, we see that the government of life the tree of life is in the midst of the garden, right? And what does God want Adam to partake of? What does God want Adam to eat? He wants him to eat from the fruit of the tree of life. So Adam is actually interfacing with the government of God by partaking of that tree. But then it gets deeper, right? Because these are, in essence, multidimensional trees. There's another tree in the garden, and it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, so when we look at Ezekiel 31 to understand the nature of the garden of God, and we lay that on top of Genesis chapters two and three, we see that in the midst of the garden, there are two oppositional governments. The first is the government of life. This is the government of Jesus Christ. The second is the government of the knowledge of good and evil. And that is the government of the serpent. Now, 
Let's take a look, because this is going to blow your mind. You, you're all, you all aren't ready for this. But this is going to blow your mind. Ezekiel chapter 28. Watch this. Ezekiel chapter 28. Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection. Right? So, so what's happening here? God is having Ezekiel prophesy to the king of Tyre, but the king of Tyre has an interface with Satan, right? It's like the, the, the principality stands behind the king of Tyre. And so a prophecy to the, the king is a prophecy to the entity behind the king. And, and so he's saying, look, look, you were a seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Watch this. You were in Eden, the garden of God. There it is. See, Eden is the garden of God, according to Ezekiel 31 and Ezekiel 28. Like th- that storyline does not change, nor does it change from the fact that that garden was where Adam was and Eve was and the serpent were in Genesis two and three. They were in that garden and it was superimposed, overlaid upon our earth and like the total convergence of realms. It's what Jesus is trying to restore at his second coming in fullness, right? This full overlay of the government of heaven on the earth. Now, now, so, so, so in, in, in Ezekiel 28, 13, it says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created, right? You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. So where is Eden, right? It's in the heavenly sphere, along with the holy mountain of God, which is Mount Zion. And uh, it says, you walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Now watch this. Iniquity was found with Lucifer. Verse 16, it says, by the abundance of your trading, right? The original ungodly trading floors, um, which was actually, to my understanding, a cosmic trade amongst the heavenly hosts that Satan got defiled in the midst of. Uh, It says, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you a covering chair from the midst of the fiery stones. Now, what, what am I saying here? By the time that Adam is in the garden of Eden with Eve in Genesis two and three, the serpent is already an opponent of God. No, now, now in Kabbalah, the serpent is a redemptive agency that's the victim of Adam's stupidity, right? Because we know that narcissists always become the victim in every circumstance, but, but not so. According to the actual Bible, the actual Old Testament, right? Satan, the serpent, is an opponent of God. And so he is intentionally deceiving the woman. And, and, and his government, and, and see, this is why you have to like really stretch your mind. Egypt had a tree. Assyria had a tree. There are many trees in the garden. And the serpent had a tree. So, so, so he wants Adam to do more than just get a snack. Right? He wants Adam to interface with his government. He wants Adam to partake of the fruit of his tree. Now there's a tree of life 
that's the government of Jesus. And then there's this other tree. So it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God tells Adam, don't eat of that. It is in the garden. But if you eat that fruit, you will die. The iniquity that was found in Lucifer was interlaced into his tree, which is his multidimensional government. So if you eat from the tree, you're going to partake of the iniquity. Ah, so ah, this multidimensional tree present in the Garden of Eden was simultaneously a literal tree and a spiritual empire. And the serpent was in the garden, deceiving man into partaking of his government. So, so this is what happened. Romans chapter 5. Watch this. <laughs> Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world. See, because see, Satan, iniquity was found in him, and then he sinned. And that sin went into him, and it went into his government, and it went into his tree. And when Adam partook of the tree and ate of the fruit, Adam partook of sin and sin entered Adam. See, like he ate it, it went inside of him. And so Romans 5, 12 comes back and says, just as through one man sin entered the world, because when God created Adam from the dust of the ground and breathed into the breath of life, God tied the destiny of the planet to Adam. So whatever Adam fell to, the planet fell to, right? And so that's how, by deceiving Adam, Satan was able to bring the whole earth, the whole planet out of alignment with heaven by introducing death into the human ways through the deception. This is deep, right? This isn't even where, this is just the foundation. We, we, we're going to get to hurting your feelings later. Okay, so, so Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and death Death spread to all men because all sinned. Verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. But the free gift, right? Now we get into Jesus. The free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man offense, many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. This is why it is so important that we understand the first Adam brought sin and death, but the second Adam came to bring life and life more abundantly and to undo everything the first Adam did. When we get to Kabbalah, we rewrite the whole story. We invent Adam Cademan as the first Adam. We get the second Adam, who's supposed to work with the serpent to be a redemptive agency to establish Tekunda, repair of the worlds through ascension protocols and unite the world so that we can all feast on the serpent ballast under the coat of the serpent skin, <laughs> right? So completely different religion. <laughs> now, now, coming back, this is why God hates Kabbalah. He hates it. It is 
antithetical to everything. Jesus. Now, 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 now we're going deep, okay? We're going deep. Satan wants to initiate people into his government in ever deepening ways. Eve was his first target and through Eve, Adam, but he's always had a tree. <laughs> and I think you can see where this is now going. Satan has always had a tree and it is a multi-dimensional government. And he wants to initiate people into his government in ever deepening ways. Watch this. And for this reason, he has revealed the multi-dimensional map of his government. And it comes to us as a mystery, a counterfeit creative template and a template for the design of man that subjugates man to his government as it is activated. This is why people are programmed against the Kabbalah template because when I activate you here and 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 all the way down all your points, right? I'm actually anchoring you in the government of Lucifer that ties a person into the iniquity that predates the fall of man in ever deepening way. This is why it's so important. So it's in Freemasonry programming, satanic programming, Illuminati programming. You're gonna find Kabbalah programming everywhere. So many survivors are trying to figure out why was I programmed with this system? This is why. It's an attachment to his government so that you can be activated in accordance with the movements of his government, right? <laughs> Someone say sleeper cells. See, this is really, really deep. Now, now, what Jesus wants to do is interface us with his government. That's why we have a gospel of the kingdom, the good news that through covenant, we engage with the government of God. And we have come to Mount Zion, to a heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, and we are submitted subjects, kings and priests unto God as members and citizens of his government. <laughs> so, so in Genesis, you actually have the opposition Government versus government, tree versus tree, and man caught in the middle. Moreover, right, and this, this, this is really going to renew our minds so we understand what the evil people are doing. <laughs> Through counterfeit ascension protocols, activating expanded soul consciousness, people are initiated into an ability to explore the depths and heights of the counterfeit government. We're actually gonna train you to go up and down the tree, up and down, flying around, up and down the tree. So we're gonna take you into Malkut and Had and Netzach and Yaset. <laughs> we're gonna get you all the way up. If you are truly worthy to get the crown, let's learn to ascend. And you have, you, you have Christians teaching Zohar, right? As if, they're going to help you become more spiritual with this system. I have to say it. And people need to repent. Metatron's cube, I can't take it. 
I literally cannot take it. Daniel, let's go to an Ascension group and go into Metatron's cube. You'd be so good at this. You're a seer, right? You're very spiritual. Would you like to stand inside of my bear trap? No. Um, so, so by training people to expand consciousness in order to ascend up and down the tree, people are learning to engage with evil angels, counterfeit courts, counterfeit councils, flying around the second heaven, gaining demonic knowledge through the mysteries uh, of mysteries through initiation, right? All the while being drawn deeper and deeper into the depths of Satan, which manifests as an entanglement with his government spanned across the dimensions. So this is why you find Revelation 2 verse 24 saying this. <laughs> I got a scripture for everything. Now to you, I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many has do not have this doctrine who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say. I will put on you no other. How are you going to get to the depths of Satan? Answer, learn to ascend his government through the tree. Because you know what? Kabbalah is simply a rescripting of ancient mystery religions through Egypt and Babylon with a Hebrew language overlay. It's like the same stuff. And that's why H.P. Blavatsky looks at the Kabbalah and says the Jews stole our mysteries as rightful occultists. They stole the secrets. Come on. And from this system, we have received the blessing of dispensationalism, <laughs> Hebrew roots, Christian mysticism, and other extraordinary things. Because, you know, oh, oh, help us, Holy Ghost. Yes, that's right. That's right. Help us, Holy Ghost. Help us. Help me. Now, conversely, the tree of life is revealed in the Bible, and it is the government of life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the God of the living. Jesus is the resurrection, and his government is a government of life. And so when we look at Genesis chapter 3 uh, on this whole narrative, we learn that it, it says in verse 22 of, of Genesis 3, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. Now, lest he put out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, God drove man out of the garden so he would not take of the tree of life and live forever in the fallen state. Many of us are familiar with this idea, right? So God puts a cherubim, he puts a flaming sword, and a division between the garden and earth is established. And I, I think that this is the beginning of the division between heaven and earth. And so after this, the garden of God continues to exist because it's, it's there for us in Ezekiel 31. Ezekiel actually sees the garden. He's prophesying out of the revelation of the reality of this garden. But this garden is multidimensional. And what manifests in the garden as literal trees manifests in the earth as literal nations and governments. So um, the, the tree of life 
is a multi-dimensional government that bears fruit and leaves. And this tree of life goes on in the future to actually be revealed through several things. It's so interesting because a tree of life is revealed through the spirit of wisdom, through the fruit of righteousness, through the manifestation of things hoped for, and through a wholesome tongue. So it's possible, even though heaven and earth have been separated, to reveal the tree of life through these things. A Proverbs 3, verse 18 says, she, wisdom, is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Uh, Proverbs 11, verse 30 says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Um, Proverbs 13, verse 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. And Proverbs 15, verse 4 says, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. So it's so, so fascinating how it's, it, it's actually being revealed, right? God working through stuff. But then in Revelation 22, we see the new Jerusalem. And, and, and let me back up. Let me back up. Revelation 2, verse 7. Uh, this is just, just so fascinating, right? It reveals the rest of the plan. Those that overcome in Christ are designed to again eat of the tree of life, even in this life. And this is because through Jesus, we have access to paradise, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with the Father, and justification. So as we begin to understand trees, this indicates that overcomers will partake in the full expression of the government of God, which is the government of life. This is so fascinating. Revelation verse chapter 2, verse 7. Look at this. Uh he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You know, we can do this because we come through the, the, the gate of Jesus. Our redemption. Profound. So God, through Jesus, has now reconnected us fully to his government. And he wants the overcomers to partake of that fruit, right? And um, in Revelation 22... We see a little bit more about this tree of life, which is a government of life. It says in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. So there's, there, there are these leaves that come off of the tree of life that God intends to use to heal the nation. So the, the multi-dimensional government of life will produce leaves that heal the nations of the earth are actually healing to the other trees in the garden of God. Now this actually leads you into some very, very fascinating uh, intercession strategies because if, if, if the body of Christ learns how to minister from the garden of God, you are now in a, a, a posture of intercession that can absolutely touch all the nations of the earth from a higher dimension, right? Working with Jesus from his ultimate resource for the healing of the nations, which is his tree of life. Now, um, God's government through Jesus Christ will bring ultimate healing to the nations. This leaves the leaves of the tree of life, right? They minister to the trees of the nations in the garden of God into perpetuity. Now, in opposition to this, Lucifer is working to initiate the nations into his tree, which is his government, which is revealed through Kabbalah. 
It, so it's an ultimate attempt to slap God in the face. <laughs> he overlays the full revealing of the template of his government upon the Old Testament, rewriting the script and selling the counterfeit to the Christians in the form of dispensationalism, Hebrew roots, and Christian mysticism, while selling it to the so-called Jews as Judaism, and to the rest of the world as Freemasonry, Eastern Star, New Age, Illumination, Theosophy, Eastern Meditation, Secret Societies, Scientology, and other belief systems, all drawing their roots from the same tree. Woo! Okay, are you getting it now? <laughs> But in this age, Satan has chosen to reveal most thoroughly the mysteries of his government through Judaism, which shares many revelations of ancient Babylon and Egyptian mystery religions. So now we are in a season of earth history where through Kabbalah, Satan is initiating the world into his government, yoking us into an antichrist agenda. Now, <laughs> now for the painful part. <laughs> I told you, bring your steel-toed shoes. Because I'm going to step on them. You know, um, every... I, 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 no, uh, quick, quick question. Theosophy and theophostic ministry, those are two different words, okay? Uh, that's not the same thing. Okay, so anyway, um, so, so every kingdom has a calendar. Calendars help us to connect times and seasons, right? They help us to connect to times and seasons. So you look at the calendar, it's like, ah, it's January. <laughs> now it's July. It's summer. It's winter. Times and seasons, you know? So so, so this takes us into the Hebrew calendar. There is a calendar of Kabbalah, which today has been renamed. Are you ready for this? It has been renamed as the Hebrew calendar. And so uh, we're going to just uh, do a little bit of a screen share here. And I'm going to hurt your feelings. <clears throat> now, um, here we have it explained to us. The teachings of Kabbalah exposes us to the mystical meaning behind the energy of each month of the Jewish calendar to help us focus on the energy of the month to benefit our spiritual growth. Oh, thank you for that. Um, now, here's what we, we, we need to understand. Uh, the Sefer Yetzirah, which is one of the books of Kabbalah, clearly connects the months of the Hebrew calendar to constellations along with various aspects of life. And thus through Kabbalah, times and seasons can be discerned and even prophesied. So aligning our lives to these prophetic words aligns ourselves with the government revealed by the tree and its worlds or Sephiroth. <laughs> so now watch this. Um, we're going to do a little bit more explanation here. The knowledge gained from an astrological chart reading helps you achieve your potential, learn more about yourself, and gives helpful tips on how to better communicate and express your ideas, visions, and inner feelings while learning how to successfully relate to others in the process. I'm borrowing this from Kabbalah.com. Uh, we were all born with special gifts and specific challenges, particular to the astrological sign we were born under. Our signs are here for us as guides, showing us 
what we need to overcome and what our life's purpose is. The purpose of Kabbalistic astrology is to rise above the influences of the cosmos and take control over our own lives. So the signs of the zodiac are not the cause of our personality traits. They are the effect, our karma from previous lives, right? Because Kabbalah believes in reincarnation, determines which sign we need to be born under in order to acquire the necessary traits and attributes that will allow us to correct and transform into the best version of ourselves. And here's the... Here it is. The patriarch Abraham hmm, was the first Kabbalistic astrologer. Hmm. Some 3,800 years ago, he wrote a book known as Sefer Yetzirah, the Book of Formation. Contained within it are all the secrets of the universe, including the knowledge of astrology and cosmology. Okay, so <clears throat> you're like, why do I need to know this? Here we go. So if I wanted to initiate a whole lot of people under the government of Kabbalah, I could declare a prophetic word from the substance of Kabbalah. And I could do this by reorganizing data from the Sefer Yitzirah, saying, thus says the Lord, and then giving a prophetic word and telling people to put their faith in the prophetic word because I wrote it down in a calendar or said, this is the association you need to make. Let me, let me, let me explain, okay? So here's the Sefer Yitzirah. Uh, th th this is um, <laughs> the version from the, the work of the chariot. Uh, in 2002. I just took a couple screenshots. Um, they make their text available for free download. Why? Because Satan wants to initiate the world into Kabbalah. So now <laughs> all their stuff is widely available. So here we have the Sefer Yetzirah and somehow Abraham with this revelation of the Kabbalistic tree. <laughs> Recognize that? <clears throat> so, so we learned that um, by means of 32 wonderful paths of wisdom, the host Elohim of Israel, living Elohim, the eternal king. By the way, how did uh, Abraham know the Elohim of Israel when Jacob wasn't renamed Israel <laughs> because Isaac hadn't been born? Like, how, how, I, I don't know how they assume that Abraham wrote this, but whatever, right? Um, who inhabits eternity, exalted and holy is his name engraved. And he created his universe by three signs, by border and letter and number. So, so then they begin to walk you into the book of formation and explain to you how things really work. Now, here's the tree that you, in a form that you would recognize it. Now, if you look at this picture, here's another form of the tree. Why? Because the tree is multidimensional. So it can fold and bend and change form depending on what dimension you're looking at it from. So here it looks like a circle. And of course, if I were to take my drawing tool, I could draw you an inverted pentagram out of this shape. Also the star of Remphan or a, just a normal pentagram. I mean, it's like all this, the five pointed star, the six pointed star, they're both in here as sacred geometries. So <clears throat> this is Sefer Yetzira, right? And if we, if, we, if we just go a little bit further, um, you know, let's 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 talk about initiating people into kabbalah through calendar let's say that um you continue reading sefer yetzirah and you learned that ah here we go the letter hey to reign over speech and he tied a crown to it and he combined them with one another and he formed through them Aries in the universe and Nisan in the year and the right foot in the body of male and female. Sounds, sounds very, very esoteric and weird, right? It's like, well, yeah. But what we have here 
is a, a, a pattern established by Kabbalah where you're, you're linking Hebrew letters to astrological signs because Aries is the ram two months of the year, there's your calendar, because Nisan is the first month of the Hebrew year, and parts of the body, the right foot. <laughs> and, and, and so you could actually take this and create a, a, an association and a linkage. So I, I, I mean, I could come to you and I could say, look, thus says the Lord, this is the first month of the Hebraic calendar, the month of Nisan. In other words, the beginning of months. This is the month of redemption. This is the month of the beginning of miracles that you need to believe. This is the month that sets the course for your future. This is the month to decree by speech your future. Speak forth your expected end and declare it will be greater than your beginning. This is the month of the ram. This is the controller month where you put your best foot forward, your right foot month. And if I said that, you'd probably think, wow, Dan, that's really stretchy. Like, what, why are you doing that? Why are you going there? what, who would do that? So, 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 so here's the thing, right? <laughs> I, 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 ha I respect this person so much that I did not leave their face or their name. But you need to see this. ElijahList.com, a place where a lot of, you know, and I would say a lot of really good prophetic words are posted, right? So um, here we have a prophet in the body of Christ, and he's saying several things. This is the first month of the Hebraic calendar, the month of Nisan. In other words, the beginning of months. Here are key facts for the month. This is the month of redemption. This is the month of the beginning of miracles. This is the month that sets the course for your future. This is the month to decree by speech your future. Speak forth your expected end and declare it will be greater than your beginning. This is the month of the ram. Look for your ram in the bush. This is the controller month where you put your best foot forward, the right foot month. <laughs> now you thought you were reading the word of the Lord. But it's not. This is pure Kabbalah. And when I, I was told about this, and I said, there's no way, this is impossible. No one would do this, especially an internationally recognized prophet of God. Yet, here it is. And I, I, I just need you to know that this is happening, that, that people are being connected to the government of Lucifer through the calendar interpretation by, by prophetic words of, of, of trusted voices. This is the level of infiltration. And it's, it, it, it's really just disappointing. So, so the month of redemption, right? Kabbalah says Nisan is referred to as the month of redemption. In this prophetic word, this is the month of redemption. In Kabbalah, the book of formation says he crowned the letter Hay and created it with Aries in the world. Kabbalah says, God produced hay and formed Aries in the world. So the prophecy says this is the month of the ram. <laughs> like, you didn't get that from the Bible. It came right out of this. Kabbalah says God produced the hay, predominant in his speech. This world created by the letter hay of Nisan is one that is found upon verbal communication. Kabbalah says sense, speech. The sense of speech implies one ability 
to express his deepest feelings. This is the month to decree by speech your future, speak forth your expected end. Miracles. Kabbalah says Nisan is a month of miracles. According to our stages, Nisei, Nisim means miracle of miracles. So, so they said, this is a month of the beginning of miracles. Believe. The whole prophetic word, point for point, is right out of the Kabbalah. And so, uh, I am struggling. It's, it, it actually hurts my heart. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I'm, I'm leaving names out of this because I'm not trying to, I, I'm not trying to blast people. I'm, I'm not trying to defraud ministries by name. I'm, I'm trying to defraud the tree and the government of Lucifer. But I have to point out the infiltration. Because this voice isn't necessarily Hebrew roots, Christian mysticism, or dispensationalism. It's like another river. But kind of Hebrew roots. So, so this, is, this, this is the thing, right? Beyond Christian prophets prophesying out of Kabbalah, which has happened, there is the issue of the reconstruction. So, 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 so Lucifer is trying to link people to counterfeit times and seasons. He's trying to link people to that, right? He wants you out of God's timelines, out of heaven's timelines, and in the timelines that advance the causes of his government. And see, we, we don't even understand the depths of how bad it is to align ourselves with times and seasons according to Kabbalah until we understand that it's a revealing of the government of Lucifer, which is why I started this sermon with that statement, with that explanation, because otherwise, you know, I'm talking to you and you're not connecting the dots. You don't realize that there is a very intentional effort in the earth today to synchronize people with an antichrist agenda to bring in a new world order under the antichrist figure that is appointed. And they want as many Christians in synchronization with this as possible, as well as others. So let's initiate the world in the Kabbalah and use calendars to synchronize. So we're all expecting the same thing, believing for the same thing, and looking for the same thing. <laughs> so, 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 here we go, here we go. <laughs> now we enter the world of the reconstructionist calendar produced by Hebrew roots and Jewish groups that many Christians are now setting the prophetic time clocks by. <laughs> when I started looking at this, I, I told Christian, I said, Christian, I don't, I cannot unpack this. It's so deep. And I felt like I fell into a whole ocean and I'm like, I have to drink this now. How can I, how can I, how can I drink this? this is so convoluted and complicated. And, and I'm sitting on top of something and I'm like, this is so big. Okay, now we're just gonna zero in on some of the main points. Okay. Uh, 
Rosh Hashanah is celebrated as the head of the year. So when we consider modern Hebrew calendars that are produced by Jewish groups, the Jewish New Year is declared to be in the fall. Some of you that are listening to me celebrated Rosh Hashanah and went into prayer to synchronize yourself with whatever is being declared over the year 5780, which they told you began in the fall. Rosh Hashanah is synonymous in timing with the Feast of Trumpets, which is the fifth feast of the year when we consider the Feast of Yahweh, right? Because we have Passover, we have unleavened bread, we have first fruits, Pentecost, Feast of Trumpets. Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles are fall feasts. Now, many people are in the body of Christ right now are setting their prophetic calendars by Rosh Hashanah, thanks to Hebrew roots influences. <laughs> They're looking at Hebrew calendars saying, oh, we're going to return to our Hebrew roots and synchronize with the timelines of heaven. We're going to synchronize with the feast times of heaven because we want to be feasting when heaven's feasting. We're going to throw out the Babylonian holidays. Well, great, throw out your Babylonian holidays. But this is going to go really, and I, I'm going to just tell you right now, I'm going over. I'm going over today. All right, it's like eight o'clock. We're going over. Uh, as we have articulated, many authorities contributing to the Hebrew Roots Movement are literally fueled by the deceptions of Kabbalah, which is part of Jewish doctrine. And many in the Hebrew Roots Movement are simply borrowing resources produced in the circles of Judaism. But here's, here's what happens when we begin to look at this. This is so ridiculous, okay? Um, many believers honestly think that by going to the Hebrew calendars that are being produced now, they are coming into alignment with the times and seasons of heaven. But this is nothing more than a Ponzi scheme for several reasons. Reason number one, and just follow me. Genesis 7.11 states that on the second month of the 17th day of the month, the same day where all the fountains of the great deep broken up, the windows of heaven were opened. And then Genesis 8, 3 and 4 says that after 150 days, the waters abated and the ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. So from the second to the seventh month, there are five months each having exactly 30 days. In other words, when Moses wrote the book of Genesis, he understood each month to have 30 days and each year to have 360 days precisely. Now, when we look at the Hebrew calendar, what we will find very, very clearly is that they have something known as leap years. Every so many years to autocorrect for the differences in times, they add a 13th month, which is nowhere found in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Second, according to Exodus 12, verse 2, and, and this is so ridiculous, the head of the year was always to be Passover. God never changed that. So we're all like, oh, Hebrew year 5780, time to get my prophetic word for the new year. The Bible says, now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, this month, 
shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying on the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Verse 11. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, with your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. In other words, Passover is the first month of the year, and the new year is in the spring. <laughs> now, now, the true Hebrew new year begins on Passover in the months of Nisan, not in the seventh month during the Feast of Trumpets. So this makes modern-day Hebrew, and I call it Kabbalah calendars, about as inaccurate regarding the times and seasons of heaven as the Gregorian calendar of Western culture. Only instead of being clearly tied to Roman and Greek gods like the, the, the Gregorian calendar, it's tied to Kabbalah, which is the government of Lucifer. And they're using their modern Hebrew calendars and interpreting it through Sefer Yetzirah and other texts to determine times and seasons. And Christians are linking to this like, aha, now I know what's really going on. But it is subjugating people to a government that is not of God. It's, it's like exactly the opposite. It's like you go to this stuff to find a synchronization with the government of God, but the overlay is pulling Christians all over the world through these calendars into the government and the times and seasons of Lucifer under the through the interpretive models of Kabbalah, which is feeding this stuff. Now, I'm going to prove this to you further. In, in, in the book of First Chronicles 24, right, because we have to understand, there is... All these calendars with 13 months as a leap year and, and the, the, the new year in the fall. And also it's, it's all a load of baloney. It's not right. It's not accurate. And, and there's more evidence because in, in, in 1 Chronicles 24, David sets up 24 division for the ordering of the priests to serve in the house of the Lord. And when he does this in 1 Chronicles 24, two divisions are set per month, one division for a period of 15 days, and then, and then they swap divisions. So there's 24, meaning that David knew that a year on a prophetic calendar of God was 360 days, exactly. Um, furthermore, in 1 Chronicles 25, there are 24 divisions of singers. They each work for 15 days in rotation, and then the next group takes over. In 1 Chronicles 26, David sets up a rotation of porters in the same way. In 1 Chronicles 27, David sets up 12 courses for the chief fathers and captains. There is never a provision for a 13th course where there is a 13th uh, month established as a leap year because on God's prophetic calendar, there were never leap years. Now watch this. This gets so fascinating. This is part of the reason why you kind of jump into an ocean on this thing, because when you begin to look at calendars, it gets very confusing very fast. But I will tell you that it has been historically noted by a guy named Emmanuel Velikovsky in an extraordinary book called Worlds in Collision. Watch this. That between the years 747 BC and 687 BC, solar and lunar movements changed repeatedly, forcing men to invent ways to correct the calendar. <laughs> forcing men to invent ways to collect, correct the calendar. Now, <laughs> due to changes in the sun and moon, 
realists have been forced to conclude that it simply is not possible to correct our annual cycles to the original patterns that God actually spoke to the Old Testament with a calendar. Heaven and earth are simply out of alignment. Thus, we land on what I really see as two irrefutable facts. Number one, Jesus Christ, and I'm going to prove this out to you in a second. Jesus Christ resolves in his own person the discrepancies between heaven and earth and in his own person aligns us to heaven's times and seasons. But the calendars of Kabbalah coming through the gate of so-called Jewish times and seasons are a way to pull people out of the frying pan of the Gregorian calendars and into the fire of the timelines of the government of Lucifer. The author of that book is Emmanuel Velikovsky, and I'll just put his name in the chat for those of you to look up this book, which is out of print. Now, times and seasons for our lives are to be defined for us by the Holy Spirit. First and foremost. When we lean on astrology, man-made calendars, whether interpreted through the lens of an occultist or Kabbalah, we are anchoring ourselves to something that is counterfeit. But when we interpret times and seasons through Kabbalah, we are anchoring ourselves to the government of Kabbalah. When we interpret times through the Holy Spirit in union with Christ Jesus, we are anchoring ourselves to the government of heaven. Now watch this. Daniel, I'm so confused what to do about my calendar now. <laughs> what do I do? Answer, relationship with Jesus. That's the answer to all of this stuff. See, Kabbalah works to excise Jesus from the equation at every point. So instead of aligning with the times and seasons of heaven through Jesus, we're going to take you to align to times and seasons through a calendar that we're going to completely reconfigure. The Bible says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. <laughs> you can do that and not even know what day of the week it is. Come on. Uh, Galatians 5.18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The Bible says in Luke 4.1, then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. How did Jesus know when it was time to go into the wilderness, the time and the season to be tempted of Satan for 40 days and 40 nights? Answer, by the Spirit, right? So there is an alignment. We synchronize with the times and seasons of heaven through Jesus. My gosh. My gosh. Now, Satan doesn't want people doing that. He wants you reading a calendar that has Hebrew letters on it because you think that's going to be more official. All right. Now, <clears throat> moving on. We have to understand that in the Old Testament, whenever God's people were filled with iniquity, and in rebellion against him, the practice of animal sacrifices and the following of new moons and Sabbaths only grieved the heart of God. The letter of the law was always held in subjugation to the spirit of the law in the eyes of God. And Jesus articulated this very clearly in the Gospels. So, so here's what happens. This is so fascinating. In the timing of Isaiah's life, it's interesting because Isaiah lived during the same time frame where this guy, Emmanuel Velikovsky, 
traces through the historical record that the cycles of the sun and moon begin to shift off of a 360 day count. Now look at what it says in the book of Isaiah. This is so fascinating. Um, <laughs> Isaiah 1, 2 through 3 and 12 through 14. Hear, O heavens, and give here, O Ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of burden bearing them. Isn't it so interesting that in the same time where Isaiah is prophesying that God has literally reached a point where his soul is weary of bearing the appointed feasts, the new moons, those things which by the law dictated times and seasons, we see that the sun and the moon are going out of phase and suddenly heaven and earth are out of alignment on a whole new level and a 360-day count goes out the window and now we're in a season where all of these people's nations and governments are scrambling to try to figure out how to reconfigure their calendars. Now, I don't know. I can't prove that there's a direct correlation here. But... What this shows, <laughs> what this shows at the end of the day is that once we move off of a 360 day calendar, way back in like 700 something BC, there is no way to reconcile present time to the calendar of Torah and the first five books of the Bible. So you can't do it. So how do we know when the Feast of Trumpets is celebrated in heaven according to a calendar? Now, following on the heels of this, Paul tells us in the New Testament that Jesus Christ writes out the handwriting of requirements. Uh, this comes from Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 um, through 17, and then verse 23, it says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a spectacle of them, trying over them, over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. These things, verse 23, indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. See, uh, okay, so when we go back to this phrase, handwriting of requirements and them being wiped out, the word translated wiped out in Greek carries the insinuation of obliteration. The phrase handwriting of requirements translates from the Greek phrase chirographon dogma. Chirographon means anything written by hand, but can more specifically apply to legal document, bond, or note of debt. 
Dogma refers to decrees, laws, or ordinances, and in this context means a body of beliefs or practices that have become the guidelines governing a person's conduct or way of life. So these guidelines are wiped out by Jesus as he is the manifestation of what these things pointed to as a shadow. So simultaneously becoming the manifestation of those things which pointed to him as his shadow, he triumphs over principalities and powers. Thus, Paul concludes that the substance of Hebrew festivals is Christ. They are a shadow of things to come, and we should not let others judge us against these things, particularly because they have no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Paul makes it clear that Hebrew festivals, new moons, and even dietary laws are to be interpreted through the lens of Christ. Now, <laughs> everything in Torah gets interpreted through the lens of Christ. That means you don't throw out the Old Testament. That means you view everything in it through the lens of Christ. It's like, how does this reveal Christ? How does this practice reveal Christ? How does this sacrifice reveal Christ? How, that's the whole point. <laughs> Christ is the whole point of the law, right? And so, so... <laughs> These things are a shadow of things to come, which are revealed and fulfilled to him. So, so you can't look at a calendar to find your new moons and your Sabbaths to align yourselves with the times and seasons of heaven because Jesus Christ is the substance. Paul says, go to him to align yourself. The whole point is to be a son of God and to manifest in Christ as legitimate and to walk out our callings in him. So, so we engage with him. Right. So what does the calendar of he the Hebrew Kabbalah calendar work to do? Cut Jesus out of the equation. Let's just read this calendar. We'll interpret all your times and seasons for you. <laughs> and deliver them to you as prophetic words out of the mouths of prophets in the body of Christ. Like, I, it's just like, oh, oh, my God. I have so many headaches when I go through this, guys. Like, I hurt inside. I grieve. I'm upset. I'm hurting. I, I, I need, <laughs> this is my therapy. <laughs> it's like, I, I, have to, I have to say what's on my heart. So, so everything, right? All of the Hebrew feasts are viewed through the lens of Christ. Now, 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 now. Having said all of this, What begins as an attempt to come into alignment with the heavens, with these Hebrew and Kabbalah calendars, ends as an initiation into Kabbalah-based astrology, uh, causing a person to synchronize with the timelines, their timelines, with a counterfeit spiritual government. Now, moving on, this is the last point, and then we're going to close. Why did they change the head of the year? Why did they do that? All right. Look at this. Look at this. Hebrew calendars. You got everything. You got biblical prophecy viewed through the lens of the Hebrew calendar. Oh, Lord. Here we go. <laughs> Political Zionism, anyone? Dispensationalism? Hmm. I, I just, I, I can't take it. The new year in October, are you serious? You really are, you, do you really expect me to buy this load of baloney? Why did they change the head of the year to October? When we consider that Jesus fulfilled the first three feasts at his death, burial, and resurrection, 
Jesus is the Passover lamb. He was the unleavened bread at his death. And at his resurrection, he fulfilled the feast of first fruits, right? And then he fulfilled the feast of the Pentecost with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> he said, I must go so that I can pray to the Father. He'll send you a, another comforter, right? So these feasts are fulfilled by Jesus. So when we understand that the Jewish religion is antichrist and everything from its doctrines to its calendar rooted in Kabbalah seeks to erode all revelation of the work of Jesus Christ as Messiah, both to the Jews and to the rest of the world, we begin to get a glimpse as to why they changed the head of the year. In rabbinic literature, the meaning of Rosh Hashanah concerns three main things. First, it's, they say, the anniversary of creation. Second, it's a day of judgment. And third, they say it's a day of the renewing of the bond between God and Israel. Now, <laughs> they say creation occurred in this month. It's the head of the year for the sabbatical year. It's the head of the year for the year of Jubilee. They say it's the head of the year for trees because when a new fruit tree is planted, rabbinic law forbids the eating of the fruit for the first three years of its growth. And they say the count begins on the Feast of Trumpets. Watch this. So instead of Jesus being our Sabbath, according to Matthew eleven twenty eight, and our Jubilee, according to Luke 4, 19, instead of Jesus being the author of all things new, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and a cultivated olive tree into which both Jew and Gentile are grafted to become one new man, according to Romans 11 and Ephesians 2, 15, they move the head of the year to the fall, looking to another Messiah that will fulfill the fall feast, namely Meshiach ben Joseph, who is Metatron, our Antichrist. This is a double face palm because one face palm just isn't enough. I can't take it. I cannot take it. I'm done. That's it. That's the whole message. Realms. Now, another question is, okay, if you've been in one of these churches to get delivered, do you need to renounce all points of the Kabbalah tree? I would say it's not going you're not going to go wrong getting our book, Advanced Prayers That Shake Heaven and Earth, which I have right here and behind me stack and going through all 13 points it's not gonna it's actually not gonna mess anything up unless you're in so much bondage you can't get through that prayer on your own and you need some help you need like a, a deliverance minister to help pray you through it um so yeah if, if you've been in a church that was deeply entrenched in uh kabbalah infiltration i would work through the prayer and, and I'm just going to do uh, this, and then I'm probably going to let you guys go. Okay, so three more. Does that mean that the feasts are invalid since the calendar is off? Well, the answer is, again, the substance of all of the feasts is Christ Jesus. And the truth is, at his coming, Jesus is, at the second coming, going to fulfill the Feast of Trumpets the Day of Atonement, 
and the Feast of Tabernacles, like those are yet to be fulfilled by him at his return. And uh, then the Feast of Tabernacles will continue to be celebrated into perpetuity. It never, it never stops being celebrated. And so, you know, but, but as far as when our present day modern Kabbalah calendars tell us these celebrations are happening, um, there's no way that they're accurate because there's no way for them to know. Because once Earth, the, the, the lunar solar calendar went out of whack back in 700 or whatever it was BC, th there's no longer an alignment to, to determine those times. You, you, you can't. You, you're adding a month here or you're in a different calendar and you're adding a leap year every four years, wh whatever have you. It's, it's simply not possible. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, um, there's nothing wrong with celebrating the feast for your own i mean you know purposes i mean I, I i meet a lot of people that celebrate the feasts because they're looking at the feasts to reveal christ to see in the feasts what christ has done and is doing and will do and i think that's great you know i don't think there's anything wrong with that at all and um but as far as like you know when they put on their calendar this is the feast of tabernacles is it who knows? You can't, you don't know. I don't know. <laughs> they don't know. And uh, okay, that's it. That's all I have to say. Um, Another question. Didn't Jesus celebrate the feasts according to this calendar at Passovers? Um, Jesus certainly celebrated the feasts uh, according to the calendars that they were working with at that time, which uh, would have been under the direction of the Sanhedrin. That's true. But it certainly would have already by that point fallen off of the 360-day cycle that God had uh, instated in the Old Testament. So by that point, they were already working with a reconfiguration of things. But Jesus did. I mean, yes, absolutely, he did. So, um, okay. I think that that will conclude tonight's service. Final conclusion. Um, deriving an understanding of times and seasons through Kabbalah-backed calendars is not the best way to go about things. And engaging with an alignment with heaven is accomplished through Christ, of which the new moons, this feast, the whole entire law is simply a shadow and key substance. Final conclusion. Um, I hope that helps. Guys, You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Be sure to subscribe to our channel, like our video, and share this with friends. This podcast is a production of Bride Ministries International. Visit our website at brideministriesinternational.com to enjoy the Bride Ministries Church, the Bride Ministries Institute, free resources, and to support us financially.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.